So, Dale, I don't know how much you know about therapy, but it usually starts by you telling me a little something about yourself. I thought there'd be couches and Kleenex and shit. Look at me, son. It's not your fault. Do you want to talk about some of those feelings? I love you. Obviously, you don't know me. So how is this supposed to work? You sit, I sit, we talk. Hi, I'm Dr. Sam. And I'm Dr. Fran. Welcome to Freudian Scripts. The podcast where we put your favorite TV shows and movies on the hypothetical couch to take a deeper dive into the way psychology is portrayed. We analyze the way therapy looks in entertainment, discuss the way psychological diagnoses are portrayed, and break down other psychological themes seen on our screens. As a reminder, Freudian Scripts is for informational and entertainment purposes only. Please consult with your mental health professional with any questions and seek care if needed. Welcome to our newest session. We're especially excited for today's session because it specializes in youth and adolescent um, mental health. We are going to be putting the new Disney Pixar movie, Turning Red, on the couch. I'm Maylin Lee. I wear what I want, say what I want, 24 7, 365. This is gonna be the best year ever. Nothing's gonna get in my way. Right. <gasps> ah! Is everything okay? I'm a gross red monster. Don't look at me. Stay back. This happened already. What did you say? Our ancestors had a mystical connection with red pandas. Are you kidding me? This little quirk brought us in our family. Strong emotion. Yes! Will release the panda. Abby, hit me. <gasps> oh! My whole life I've been perfect little May May. Ah! But maybe I like this new me. <laughs> Mama's girls. <laughs> Stop! <laughs> it's gonna be me. So, Turning Red, as I mentioned, is from Walt Disney and Pixar, and it is an animated movie set in Toronto, Ontario, so Canada, (laughs) for those of us who aren't as familiar with Canadian geography, Um, and it's set in the time of 2002, so kind of the early 2000s. The movie follows Mei Lin, or Mei Li, who's a 13-year-old Chinese-Canadian student, and throughout the course of the movie, she discovers that due to a hereditary curse, she transforms into a giant red panda whenever she expresses or starts to feel any strong emotion coming on. I'm really excited to cover this movie for a few different reasons. One, it's brand new. It just came out on Disney um, like a few months ago. So I know it's been talked about a lot in different circles. Um, I think this is our first Disney Pixar movie. We've Definitely. done animated films. <laughs> yeah, we've done animated. I think this is our first. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this is our first one. Um, and... Also, my family was very excited when this movie came out and they all texted me because for some random reason, I really love red pandas. So when they saw that this was the like a huge theme was like this girl turns into a red panda, they were like, you have to watch this movie. I don't know if the Freudian scripters out there know about our shared love of animals. And Dr. Fran and I, an early bonding experience that we had was around animal facts. Um, but I also really love red pandas. So I was really excited about this as well. <laughs> So as as Dr. Sam alluded to earlier, um, so both of us have background and training in 
youth, adolescent, and child development and psychology and mental health. Um, so we really wanted to spend today talking about Turning Red within the context of preteen and adolescent development, because that's really a huge core theme of this movie. And what's kind of exciting is, you know, unlike some of the themes or topics, movies or shows that we cover, um, the individuals that are portrayed in those movies and shows that we've talked about in the past, they're not always reflective of the exact type of patients or people that Dr. Fran and I may work with in our actual like clinical practice or in our past experiences. But May really is a good example of the type of patient that either of us would potentially work with. Um, so it'd be kind of interesting to talk about, as Dr. Fran mentioned, her, you know, her development and kind of in the context of her um, feeling and expressing these strong emotions and just all that she goes through that a 13-year-old, you know, I think would um, likely be going through as well. So we're really excited to kind of start and dive into this one. Absolutely. And so when we take a step back and think about like preteen or adolescent development, May is definitely in this age range She where we find out she's 13. Um, so really at the crux of this time frame. And this is really a time where kids and teenagers are developing their identity. And we definitely see that as like a huge thing for her throughout the movie. So she's struggling to develop her own identity um, within the context of like her family, but also the friends that she has at school, maybe the interests that she has, like the band for town or maybe <laughs> different or foreign to her parents who are like, why are you watching this garbage music video? Um, <laughs> so she's really trying to figure out who she is in the context of all these different moving pieces. I think a really cute part kind of of the movie is even as we're being introduced to May, she kind of is serving as the narrator and she's really expressing like, this is who I am and these are the things that are important to me. This is kind of the pieces of my identity thus far. And, you know, she seems really confident and is really excited to be a teenager and to be, you know, quote unquote independent. We'll talk a little bit about what that really looks like for May and what that really looks like for teenagers and preteens. Um, but, you know, I think that this as you just mentioned, Dr. Fran, this time period is pivotal for just that identity formation in a lot of ways, really kind of figuring out like, you know, who you are, who you want to be, what's important to you, what your interests are, and kind of who's within that, like, you know, your social support system. Um, and so we'll talk through a bit of how we see that, particularly with May. Um, I think we talked a little bit about this in previous sessions when we've talked about adolescence or even when we've talked about like young adulthood, like in Step Brothers, for example. Um, but it is an interesting time where as, you know, teenagers, preteens, as they're aging, there's this interesting um, thing occurring where they're striving to become more autonomous, more independent. And parents usually are also like starting to kind of allow them to gain that independence. And some youth have more difficulty with stepping into that independence. And some parents have more difficulty with allowing them to do so. So we can often see tension in those types of relationships. And we definitely see that play out uh, here with May and her family as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, again, like a big piece that we're mentioning is that a lot of what we're seeing in this movie, May, how she's kind of developing her identity, how she's interacting with peers, how she's interacting with her parents, and that struggle for autonomy and independence is super typical yeah. of this time frame and of this age range. Like, of course, there's going to be variability for every individual. And at the same time, like we have whole um, ways of understanding this time frame because it is so typical to see these challenges during this adolescent period. I think what you're also alluding to, Dr. Fran, is, you know, you mentioned kind of the way that we understand it, the way that we approach it. So there are several theories within the field of child development and the field of psychology that strives to explain, you know, what is kind of going through or what is kind of happening for people during different time periods. So I think a lot of people might be familiar, you know, with um, Sigmund Freud 
the namesake of the podcast in a way. <laughs> um, you know, so he had many theories related to development. One of the ones that Dr. Fran and I wanted to highlight today that we thought kind of nicely maps on to what we're seeing with May and Turning Red is Erickson's stages of psychosocial development. Um, in particular, he does identify the age range between the ages of 12 and 18, so in that adolescent period, um, as a stage called identity versus role confusion. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in this, as we kind of said, this identity versus role confusion really focuses on the adolescent developing a sense of self. So who am I? What do I want to do with my life? Um, they might try different things out. They might yeah. try different versions of themselves. They're really exploring, setting different goals and trying to figure out what adult version of myself might look like. Um, and we can obviously see that that can be a very exciting time. Where there's a lot of exploration and there can be challenges when there might be struggles of like, okay, I'm trying all these different things out and I can't really find something that really fits for who I am. Um, or maybe that identity is having a tougher time developing. Or like we see with May, when there's a clash or a bit of friction between the adolescent and the parental unit that is also trying to shape and, and mold them in a way. One of the things I thought really maps on nicely to May's experience and what we see kind of in her journey throughout the movie um, is that in Erickson's theory here, he states that adolescents who are more successful during this time period, so those who, you know, are answering those questions you just mentioned, Dr. Fran, like figuring out who they are, what they want to do, um, and are gaining that confidence in those identities that they are, you know, um, starting, you know, as they're starting to answer those questions, those adolescents are able to remain more true to their own beliefs. And, you know, especially when they're kind of taking in other people's perspectives, when they're having different problems or conflicts, um, they're able to stay true to themselves because they have that strong sense of identity and kind of move forward in that fashion. However, adolescents who are having more difficulty with, you know, searching for their identity, coming up with answers to those questions, we're more likely to see that they'll conform to maybe what their parents want for them in the future, or maybe they're more influenced by other outside factors as opposed to their own identity and confidence. Um, so I think this nicely fits in with May because we do see, you know, she is striving to answer these questions. She's trying to figure out who she is. Um, and we'll talk more through her story arc. But we do see at the end, she makes a conscious decision about like, you know, this is who I am. I'm proud to kind of have all of these different pieces of me like integrated. Um, and she really does come forward with that confidence. Whereas if she had maybe only listened to her mother... In particular, I'm talking about the red panda, right? She, spoiler alert, but she chooses to keep her red panda and integrate that into her her whole person. Um, a lot of her family members who have also been cursed with the red panda, they choose to kind of lock the panda up and not like be bothered by it. And so we could see this playing out in that if she had really listened to everyone else and outside factors, she might have also locked up her panda. But really, she is able to use her pandas like a strength and something that she likes about herself. And I think that that's a really nice example of what Erickson is talking about in this phase of development. Yeah, and I think that's also a really good transition into talking about that dynamic with May and her family, and particularly her parents and her mom is really emphasized like the mother-daughter relationship in this context. And even from like the very first scene of the movie, <laughs> May tells us that the expectation in her family is to honor her parents. The number one rule in my family, honor your parents. They're the supreme beings who gave you life who sweated and sacrificed so much to put a roof over your head, food on your plate, an epic amount of food. The least you can do in return is 
every single thing they ask. She then goes and talks about all these like cool things that she does, kind of what her identity is. And she also kind of makes this caveat that like, but I can't do whatever I want because I also have to work. I am my own person. But that doesn't mean doing whatever I want. Like most adults, I have responsibilities. And it becomes very clear from the beginning that her relationship with her family is very important to her. Yes. There's a lot of expectations related to the family and like the culture that they're in. Um, and that clearly influences how May interacts with her family and how she considers her own interests and desires versus those of her parents. One of the things I liked about the movie is, you know, as May is describing these things, like, you know, I think her friends wanted to... Oh, they wanted to go and do karaoke early in the movie. And May says, like, oh, I can't. Like, I have to go and help clean, like, the temple at home and help my mom. And her friends are really trying to talk her out of it. But I thought, like, May, like, she genuinely did seem kind of excited or at least, like, felt very positive about, like, having this role in the family and going home and helping out in that way and enjoying cleaning. You know, so I... I thought that this could be, you know, of course, not every adolescent or teenager is going to love running home to clean. Okay, I get that. Um, but I thought that this could be a realistic depiction because, you know, I think May, like, she is really, she feels really positively about the relationship that she has with her parents. And I do think it yeah. makes her feel good to be able to help them and to contribute. I think we start to see friction in the movie when she's trying to balance that. Like, I'm happy to help and still try to, you know, live up to some of your expectations and you have to also allow me to do some things for me, right? I think that's where we start to see this friction. But I thought in the beginning, you know, she really is happy to do a lot of these things. Like, you know, she describes herself as like a straight A student and she's musically inclined and she does all these things. I know, it's a lot. But this is grade eight. I don't got time to mess around. I guess you could call me. Very enterprising. Mildly annoying young lady. A major weirdo. An overachieving dork narc. I accept and embrace all labels. And it seems like those are things her parents expect of her and things that she also enjoys. And so I thought that we had that nice balance. And then as it progresses, seeing like, okay, I'm happy to do these things for you, parents. And also like, you need to do these things for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good point. And something I actually really, really appreciate about this movie was the nuance that it takes with the parent-child relationship. It would have been very easy for them to paint the parents as very negative, like very critical, like having these high expectations and her just like having all this rebellion. And, and I think we do see that played out in a lot of other movies, but I really liked that there was both the tension and the challenging dynamics and we can see ways and we'll talk about ways that parenting could maybe have been more effective for May. Mm -hmm. And we see how they also have like a very strong bond and very close relationship and enjoy being around each other and are very, um, complimentary and and just and kind to each other so i like that we see both of those pieces because i think that's more reflective of what we see in the real world yes families are tricky there are a lot of factors at play and one of the things i thought that was nice about this movie is they kind of tried to demonstrate a lot of those different layers that could potentially be at play right so like i think you mentioned dr fran and we mentioned early on may is chinese canadian so i think there are cultural factors at play um, she also comes from like a two-parent home, right? Um, and that could be a factor at play. I think there's also a nice thing about um, 
the family dynamics are not only her nuclear family, it also depicts like other generations of May's family. So her grandmother and her aunts, you know, so kind of more of the extended family components as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that there are a lot of things that are kind of feeding into these dynamics that would be very realistic for all of us in anyone's family. <laughs> Everyone's family is very different in those ways. Yeah, absolutely. I think those are all really good points. And, and I think a major theme we do see is again, this not necessarily the clash, although we do kind of see it turns into a clash, but May's mother being very invested um, in her well-being, really wanting to help her out. In a way, I think it can come off as maybe a bit of anxiety on mom's end of like really wanting to make sure May is okay. Everything's going well. She's doing everything she needs to do. Um, She's happy. She's healthy to the extent that sometimes it may come off like too much to May. Um, So there's, of course, the like classic example, which is like every um, like adolescent girl's nightmare of her mom running after her, like you forgot your pads, oh, like yes. coming to school or, you know, like doing things that are in public and feel very horrifying as a teenager in front of your peers. Tell him you forgot your And unfortunately, there are several examples of that for May, like um, like that example when the mom is like stalking her at school and screaming that. And then also the scene that I just found was like so difficult to watch because I feel like I have been in the room with teens describing similar scenes or, you know, just like parents who mean well and it takes like a very horrible turn. But when she goes to yell at the young man at like the convenience store because she found May's drawings. That whole scene was very difficult to watch because you just feel so bad for May. Mom's just accusing this, like, you know, this young man of a lot of different things. And May's just like, oh, my gosh, get me out of here. You're just revealing my deepest, darkest secrets about having a crush and showing the doodles. She's just a sweet, innocent child. How dare you take advantage of her? Mom, no! And so, you know, I think it definitely in some instances, really portrays May's mom as being that kind of overbearing, kind of controlling mother. And then I think it also balances it with, you know, May's mother is really supportive and she wants to have a positive relationship with May. I think also given the context, as we learn a little bit more about the relationship she had with her mother, you know, she's striving really hard to make it a positive relationship and that sometimes it still is a little too much, maybe not taking the cues or helping May like develop in some of those other ways. Yeah. And and you'll notice Dr. Sam and I being very careful with our words here. And it's because I think we want to be very clear that just because mom is being overbearing, it's coming from a good place. And there's a lot of, unfortunately, there's a lot of terms out there that are used and thrown around that we actually don't use to describe parents in psychology. Like people might be thinking of like helicopter parenting or, um, you know, over controlling. And I think there's ways we can describe some of the behaviors that are associated with those terms without making it seem like a a completely negative, um, horrible thing that, that sometimes those terms are thrown around in a very pejorative way. And I think, like, there's just stereotypes, right? And this movie does play into some of those. Like, you know, mom is the one who's very invested. Mom is the one who's going to the school. Mom is the one who, you know, is concerned. Mom is the one kind of setting strict rules or guidelines, right? And dad in the movie is a little more laid back. And he's kind of more of the one that's like, oh, like, you know, your mom means well. Like, don't listen to her all the time, right? Kind of like 
pitting the parents yeah. against like the good cop bad cop yes good stereotype. cop bad yeah. cop stereotype and oftentimes i feel like especially in entertainment it's often mom who is the bad cop and dad who's like the good cop and we definitely see that in this movie too <laughs> yeah and, and i think at the same time like some of the behaviors or the traits that we're talking about so being somewhat over controlling kind of like constantly guiding or um giving advice and feedback on how to do certain things we do know that some of those traits and those ways of parenting can have impacts on children. And and we'll talk specifically about how that could impact someone in a situation like May, which we actually do somewhat see play out. So what we know is that when we're seeing some of these over-controlling behaviors at a really young age, it makes it harder for children to develop their own emotion and behavioral regulation because essentially they're relying on their parents for all of that. They're not having to figure out how to regulate their behavior and their emotions because their parents kind of constantly them they're telling them, do this, don't do this. Yeah. Um, and so the child actually doesn't get a chance to develop some of that. Um, and so we want to be aware of that when thinking about child development and the impact that different parenting styles can play on that. And again, it's not a one-for-one like, if you tell your child to do something, they're automatically going to like not know emotion regulation skills. But we do know there's a correlation between the more of those parenting behaviors we see and children having more difficulties at later ages with emotion regulation. And I think this is like so spot on with turning red because they kind of have put it into a very nice like metaphor, right? So mom is trying very hard to literally help May suppress her red panda. The red panda right. is something, you know, when when strong emotions come on, the red panda the red panda shows up. And when the red panda shows up, right, it's like embarrassing. She's kind of taught like the red panda is something you should hide, you should feel ashamed of. Um, and I think it's like a really nice metaphor kind of for expressing feelings, period. Like not just becoming a red panda, but expressing especially those more unpleasant, maybe what people might perceive as like negative feelings, like anger, sadness. Um, and so mom is quite literally trying to suppress May's expression of these feelings, right? She's not allowing her to kind of cope or handle them or manage them on her own. Um, I think that that like is exactly what you're describing there, Dr. Fran, and what we're seeing with the red panda, right? So the more May kind of tries to wiggle free of like her parents' grasp and she actually starts to express her panda in different ways. Um, and that kind of allows her to actually build those skills on her own. I think sometimes listeners, you might have heard like self-soothing, right? Oh, you have to let them like self-soothe. You have to let them kind of, you know, work through it or learn how to manage those emotions. Like you can prompt, you can support, but you also want them to develop those skills. And coping or kind of managing emotions is a skill just like any other that you need to practice and develop. Yeah, I think that's a really good summary. And I, I appreciate bringing up the like the metaphor piece, because absolutely, like the red panda is clearly a metaphor for like, emo <laughs> like intense emotions, right? Yeah. Um, and and I think to to your point earlier, Dr. Sam, you were mentioning the the really difficult to watch scene where mom um, yeah. finds these drawings that May has made and, and drives over to the mini mart and confronts this man that has like doesn't even recognize her daughter no. at all um and <laughs> that's actually the first time may experiences the panda i think is when she gets home yeah so she has this range of emotions of like she's embarrassed she's ashamed she's sad she's like angry at herself like she says all these emotions she doesn't really express that to mom she like holds it in she really suppresses it and when she gets home she like yells at herself you sicko what were you thinking why would you draw those And then that evening she has a nightmare. Mm -hmm. And then the next day is when she wakes up and has the panda. And that's when she starts to kind of put together that when she calms herself down and self-soothes, like, like Dr. Sam said, she like takes some deep breaths, 
the panda goes away, mm -hmm. and anytime she's emotionally activated, it pops back up. You'll figure this out, Lee. Just be the calm, mature adult you totally are. You got this. <laughs> yeah, she goes to school like right after and she's like trying to stay as calm as she can. Um, and I think like something happens like a the kind of peer who's portrayed to be like a bully in the beginning, but strangely becomes a friend at the end. We can talk about that later. But he says something to her and I think like the ears or tails like pop back out. Right. Yeah. So she's like, oh, no, like trying to suppress it like while she's at school. Um, and I think that scene, like part of what makes it so hard, the one where she's at the um, the corner store with the guy that she has a crush on is Poor May, like, her friends have a huge crush on this guy. They're always talking about him, watching him. May always kind of denied it. Like, she said she kind of didn't see the appeal. And she kind of discovers in that moment, too, she actually does find him attractive and, you know, kind of part of that, like, identity um, exploration period, right, or that point that we're talking about. So she finally discovers, like, oh, okay, like, I do like this guy. Like, or I think he's cute or whatever. And then she doodles. And then it just right away all gets flipped upside down. Like, it, must, it was just so embarrassing for her. And all the other, I think the bully kid is there too, right? And he sees the drawings and he makes fun of her. That's what he, yeah. that's what he's making fun of her in the hallway the next day when the panda comes back. Yeah, absolutely. Of like, yeah, that's really challenging. And then the other scene that we alluded to with mom running after her at school with the pads is another time that the panda comes out. And May's mom actually realizes that the panda has like started to come out for May and like chases her home. And, and that's when they talk about like, okay, like this is what's going on. It's a family curse. Our ancestor Sun Yi had a mystical connection with red pandas. In fact, she loved them so much that she asked the gods to turn her into one. They gave her the ability to harness her emotions, to transform into a powerful, mystical beast. And you need to try to suppress this, like don't let the panda come out, stay very calm. Um, and that's where we get this message that like intense emotions are bad. Are bad. Any strong emotion will release the panda. And the more you release it, the more difficult the ritual will be. Yeah. Don't let anyone know that you have feelings. Hide them. Bury them deep. Only look happy. <laughs> Not I know. Best. Can you imagine if everyone everyone who had intense emotions or like emotional reactions at all like turned into an animal? It'd be interesting. It'd be wild out there, literally. It would be <laughs> wild animals abound. Um Someone I was talking to about, uh, you know, we were going to be covering this movie and I was watching the movie and they were asking like, oh, I'd love if you could address on the podcast, how do you treat, you know, how do you treat that as a symptom, like turning into a red panda? And I think actually it shows really nicely. We talked about how with mom and dad trying to suppress the panda and their way of kind of showing May how to manage the panda um, quote unquote. One of the nice things that actually comes from it is when May turns into the panda at school, her best friends see her as the panda. And, you know, naturally they think the panda's really cute. <laughs> um, and then otherwise they are, you know, they're kind of on board to help support May in whatever she wants. So when she tells them it's about the intense emotions, they actually provide her, like, you know, they help her to problem solve or they help her to think of strategies that could help calm her down. And May actually realizes just as, that just their presence or visualizing being with them because they are positive influences and just important people in her life helps to calm her. When I start to get emotional, all I do is imagine the people I love most in the whole world. 
And I really like that message of, you know, like the importance of social support and just the importance of positive relationships and how that can help us like manage our emotions, help us adjust to the things that we're going through. And that support can come from families and that support can come from friends. And like we see with May, the support she receives from her parents is very different from the support that she receives and wants from her friends. And I think that that's um, an important distinction and is true for all of us. Yeah. And and I think that also brings up another theme that we see is like this part of peer relationships in general and how important that can be at this age. And like to the point that May can calm herself down by imagining her friends. And there's actually a a kind of sad scene where she says like, oh, I just envision the people that are important to me and it helps me calm down. And mom just assumes that she envisions her and the dad um, and really May's envisioning her friends. And I think this can be really challenging for parents and children to navigate, especially as parents maybe aren't seen anymore as the most important person in their child's life. And it's like, these random people that like you don't have anything in common with that you just go and listen to four town with, like from a parent's perspective, it can be hard. Um, and we see that for May, it's really challenging because there's a lot of times where she feels torn between her friends and her mom as things progress. And, and she's increasingly faced with choices of mom wants her to be doing a certain thing and is putting restrictions so that the Panda doesn't come out more. And she's not having these bad influences Versus these friends that she's had that have been very supportive and and kind and loving to her. And I think what's a challenge for parents, like you just mentioned, Dr. Fran, is there can be that feeling like, like, oh no, my child doesn't care about me as much anymore. I'm not as important. And I think what's really happening is just this like natural progression as part of this like maturation process. So what's happening like as people are getting older and especially during adolescence is that the relationships are just shifting Parents are still important. They're just important in different ways. They serve different roles like throughout a child's lifetime, right? Even into adulthood. Um, And that's also the case for friends. Friends and the relationships that people have with their friends will also shift throughout the lifetime. Um, And I think this is just one of those pivotal times where the friendship and like just peer relationships in general, whether they're friends or other influences related to peers, um, is very important for this like period of development and what and what people are really looking towards. You know, teens are looking towards their their classmates, their friends, people that are their ages, influencers, I don't know, like a lot of different peer influences out there to kind of figure out like those questions like who am I? What do I want to be? What's important to me? Um, and so I think that shift is it can be a challenge for for everyone involved because the relationships are changing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really exemplified in one of like the climax scenes of the movie where May gets asked to be the panda at Tyler, the bully's birthday party, right? Which we're also like, why are you friends with him? Um, Or why are you doing this for him? But they basically monetize the panda at this point to be able to make enough money to go to the Four Town concert. Um, And essentially things get out of hand. May gets upset about not being able to go to the concert and um, lashes out at Tyler physically while she's in the red panda form. And so Tyler gets hurt. Mom shows up after parents are called and she is furious. She's upset that the panda's out. And I think this is a moment where looking back, we could give some feedback on, on how to handle the situation differently, but she really takes it out on May's friends. Um, and you know, kind of indicates that like there have been bad influence of on her. They're taking advantage of her and it kind of allows May to, have an out of like not really taking responsibility for any of it. I think that's a great point. Let's actually listen briefly to that scene of mom kind of letting May's friends have it. I can't believe you girls would use her like this. What? But we no, didn't. We never. What? I knew you were trouble. 
putting all these thoughts into Maymay's head, parading her around. Now she's lying, sneaking out. She attacked a defenseless boy. You think this is a joke? Do you know how dangerous this is? We didn't mean to. We we just wanted to see Fortown. Fortown! You manipulated her for a bunch of tacky delinquents? No, she wanted to. Don't you blame her. She is a good girl, and you've taken advantage of her. May, tell her. What? Dude. Come on, Mimi. Let's go. This is another scene that's hard to watch because I think you see that you see May's internal struggle of like, I want to stand up for my friends and you see how hurt her friends are that she doesn't defend them and that she sides with her mom. And um, we also just see how hard that is for May to like then sit with that, that she disappointed her mom. Exactly. This is her way of like, okay, well, if mom's mad at my friends, she's not totally disappointed in me, right? Like the blame is on them. But also, I'm not sticking up for my friends, but if I do, my mom's going to get mad at me, and she's just really torn. I think we, you know, if you've seen the movie, you know of this, but we haven't really mentioned that part of the whole panda situation is mom has warned May that every time she releases the panda, it will actually become increasingly difficult to lock the panda away forever, and or she may not be able to suppress the panda. Um, but what May has learned is, you know, yes, she's using the panda to get money to go see the boy band that she loves, but also it seems like that the panda is kind of helping her to um, meet other classmates other peers it's helping her to kind of be a little more silly a little more outgoing it's helping like increase her confidence so there are definitely aspects of being the panda that may enjoys and so i think she has this internal conflict too of like okay being the panda isn't actually that bad like i enjoy it there are some positives but my mom doesn't want me to be the panda and i might get in trouble for being the panda so i think she's constantly having to wrestle with that and the friends allow her to be panda mom doesn't and so this is a perfect example of that like internal struggle like on the outside like there she is she attacked the boy as the panda and then she's in between like mom and her friends <laughs> yeah and and it's definitely a, a turning point um in the movie the very soon after this is the ritual the one night in a, you know however long oh, yes. that she can do this ritual to banish the red panda forever um and we see like as, as you were talking about it you were talking about how um how passionate mom is about like getting rid of the red panda and how she doesn't see any of the positives where May sees some of it. We see this kind of good cop, bad cop thing again where dad comes <laughs> in and happens to see a video of May being the red panda and being very silly with her friends. And she's having a great time. And he ends up having a little sit down chat with May about just who she is and kind of the development. And I think we can listen to just like the, the, a super quick bit of this too. I'm a monster. Hmm. People have all kinds of sides to them, May. And some sides are messy. The point isn't to push the bad stuff away. It's to make room for it. Live with it. May, erase it if you want, but this side of you made me laugh. So in this scene, you know, I think the dad actually highlights something that Dr. Fran and I have been saying. You know, he says that there are lots of sides to people, that there are different facets, people are multidimensional, and that we don't have to push away the bad stuff, right? Like, it's not about suppressing, hiding, ignoring the bad stuff. And so I think we would definitely agree with dad on that. And I think he helps to kind of 
allow, if you will, May to enjoy the panda side, right? So she has enjoyed the panda and some of those positives, but I think she's felt kind of guilty and kind of bad about that. But now dad's kind of saying like, it's okay. Like, you're right. Like there are some messier sides and different sides about being the panda and there's some positive sides to it as well. And I think we also learn, and it's been alluded to um, like around this time, that mom's situation with the pandas, like mom's panda was maybe a little bit more... um, uh, of an angry panda experience. Like her panda kind of came out more with those um, more unpleasant feelings. And it seemed like, especially in the relationship with her mother and that when they were, I think you can correct me if I'm remembering incorrectly, Dr. Fran, but I think that when they were doing the banishing ceremony or around the banishing ceremony for May's mom, her panda like scratched Mm -hmm. her mother and like physically hurt her mom. Yeah, definitely a lot of like history there and even like intergenerational influences, right? So obviously yes. like the relationship between May's mother and grandmother has super has very significantly impacted May's mom, which then clearly impacts how she's parenting May and and the maybe like passion with which she wants to banish this panda because she's seen the negative impact it had on her relationship with her mom. Um I, I appreciate what dad says here and I feel like a lot of stress could have been avoided if they had sat down as a family and had this conversation, right? Like if dad could be like, Hey, (laughs) let's talk about this. And let me voice my opinions. Like, let's kind of talk about this as a family and come to an agreement. Um, as opposed to saying it like secretly to May. And then she, um, goes into the ceremony preparing to do it. And then decides during the ceremony that she doesn't want to lose her red panda. She decides she's going to keep it. And she yells at mom, like, this is me. And, and, runs away and is like, I'm going to this concert. I'm keeping it. What did she say? Keeping it? I'm keeping it! Mamie, stop her! What are you doing? I'm going to the concert! Which mom does not respond well to. No. (laughs) And I agree, I think, Dr. Fran, one of the main difficulties that this family is experiencing is centered around communication. Because May now feels like, you know, she's been hiding the red panda and the experiences that she's been having with the red panda for a while. Dad is like sneaking and and saying the positive things about the panda to May when mom's not there, right? So there's just a lot of um, miscommunication, a lot of kind of hidden communication that if people would have come to the table, like mom, dad, and May, if they would have come, and the red panda, if they would have come to the table together and like talked about it and May could have expressed how she was feeling about things and then you know the parents are trying to be supportive I think a lot of this could have been um, hatched out in a different way Um, but you're right mom gets very angry a may wants to keep the panda b may's going to this like concert that mom has been against from the get-go and we see that mom's like little amulet where her red panda has been housed breaks and her red panda is free and as we've been warned throughout the movie mom's red panda is big. It's like a kind of like King Kong panda. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Like that's just like a one of those random side things that you're like, why am I paying so much attention to this in the movie? But I'm like, why is May and everyone else's panda like one size and mom's is just like 15 times the size? <laughs> it's a huge panda. And I wonder if that's like another metaphor for mom. Like, you know, mom presents in a very uh, specific way, like a very kind of even killed or just like positive kind of way. And maybe the size of her panda is like positively uh, correlated with her emotional suppression. Mm. Like when the panda comes out, it's just huge. That's a good <laughs> hypothesis. The more you suppress it, the bigger it gets. That's basically how emotions work. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I don't know if that's what they were going for, but nice I like it. <laughs> Well, and, and, and the scene where they're, so 
you know, giant red panda mom goes and tracks May down at the concert. It's like very <laughs> destructive because she's just a massive red panda. Um, and yeah, breaking, everything. Yeah, breaking everything. That's another thing where I'm like, who paid for all this to be fixed after this was over? Uh, but that's beside <laughs> the point. Um, but there's this, a lot of confrontation between the two. And in this kind of red panda yes. battle between May and mom, she may says a lot of things about like, this is me. Like I'm 13. Um, I'm sorry. I'm not good yeah. enough. So a lot of the built up things that haven't been communicated up to this point are being like yelled at in this high emotional, high stakes conflict. I'm not your little Maymay anymore. I lied, Mom. What? It was my idea to hustle the panda. My idea to go to Tyler's party. It was all me. I like boys. I like loud music. I like gyrating. I'm 13. Deal with it. Yes. And I think, you know, May's panda is not as big as mom's. It's actually a very little panda. But like there have been some things, I think, as the movie has gone along that she started to suppress. And so, and we were talking about, she's also gained some confidence. And also she's now angry, mm-hmm. right? So she's decided to keep the panda. She thinks everyone's going to be against that idea. And then mom does show up as a huge panda, like angry. And she's she's just like, like you mentioned, just like yelling, like, this is who I am. She has the confidence finally, like kind of talking back to her mom. Mom is not happy though. So mom is like, tearing up this like stadium the whole concert like you know just runs away kind of or hides so may's mom is just trying to catch may throughout all of this kind of chaos there's like a scuffle and what ends up happening is the mom giant red panda ends up falling down and being injured mom you have to get in the circle and they are you know it's this like the red moon the only time they can do this ceremony and so they have to act quickly because now that mom's panda is like destroying everything and angry, now they need to like recapture mom's red panda. Um, but she's passed out and she's huge. So they're trying to pull her into the circle to do the ceremony to get rid of mom's red panda. And then grandma and the aunt. Make room for your elders, Maymay. They release their pandas. And so all of the red pandas are working together to kind of trap mom's red panda. Basically, the long and short of it, what ends up happening is they all kind of go to this, like, otherworldly place where the red pandas eventually are trapped that you kind of, it seems like they're kind of, like, spirits or kind of like this, like, otherworldly type of their, like, essence gets sucked into. Um, And then all of the women are there together um, to banish their red pandas. Did I explain that really weirdly? I mean, it was a little convoluted, but the movie's convoluted, so... Well, sorry, I'm not perfect! Well, and there's a really important scene when they're in this other world that, that Dr. Sam was mentioning, <laughs> um, particularly between May and her do- and her mother. And it's interesting because May's mom is actually appearing as her adolescent self, which we're, I think, assuming is when she banished the Red Panda and when her ceremony happened. And May's mom is really upset. So she's crying. Um, and let's take a listen to a bit of their interaction. Mom, I'm, I'm sorry. It's, it's all my fault. What happened? I, I, I hurt her. Who? My mom. I, I got so angry and I, and I lost control. I'm just so sick of being perfect. I'm never going to be good enough for her. Or anyone. 
I know it feels that way, like all the time. But it isn't true. So throughout that scene, when it starts off, we're hearing that May's mother is crying. She's upset. She's also expressing like that she just will never be good enough for her mother. And, you know, kind of having those feelings of, you know, not being good enough for mom, not being good enough for anyone, kind of those feelings of inadequacy. And then May very sweetly, like you heard the conversation and what they're saying, you may not have seen this, but May very sweetly takes her hand and starts to walk her towards like the portal that will like capture, uh, allow her to escape and capture the red panda. And we see that mom is like aging and I like how they do that. It kind of shows how, like, mom's progression in the other world that we didn't get a lot of a sense for, like, necessarily before. Um, and then May starts to talk to her mother, like, expressing, like, you know, she kind of feels like they can relate to each other now. And she expresses feeling similarly that, you know, she let mom down at certain times or, you know, was afraid to let mom down. I'm sorry. Shh. You don't have to apologize. I'm your mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a really nice parallel that we see here between how May feels with her mom and then how her mother feels with the grandmother um, and kind of mentioning again, like how those inter- intergenerational pieces might get passed down. Um, so obviously the way that May's mother is parenting her is influenced by the way that she was parented and that unfortunately kind of um, that strained relationship with her own mother. And so it's just really nice when we see mom and grandma reconcile a bit of like, you don't have to apologize. Like I'm your mother. Um, and they nicely mend this relationship before then may and her mom also mend their relationship. And may is very direct, which I appreciate. And I think that shows how much she's like grown and learned and matured in a way is that she can be more direct And so can mom about how they're feeling and what's really going on underneath the conflict and the tension. No, maybe. Please, just come with me. I'm changing, Mom. I'm finally figuring out who I am. But I'm scared it'll take me away from you. Me too. I see you, Mimi. You try to make everyone happy, but are so hard on yourself and if I taught you that I'm sorry so don't hold back for anyone the farther you go the prouder I'll be I really like how May says the thing about like you know I'm I'm finally figuring out who I am. Like, I'm going through this process, um, and I'm scared that it's going to take me away from you. And I think that that really comes from, because, like, as May was starting to express herself, like, as she was starting to express her red panda, as she was starting to, like, bond with her friends and develop these interests, a lot of them were things that Mother was kind of restricting or telling her not to do. And so, like, we were talking about that communication really got severed, and May felt like she couldn't share with Mom. Um, And now in this moment, she's able to say, like, you know, we were drifting apart because I couldn't really share who I was becoming with you because I thought you would be against it, right? And I think that this is something that all teens and people who were teens can relate to. Like, there are things maybe you didn't share or felt uncomfortable sharing because you thought, like, you would get in trouble or you thought your parents wouldn't understand or that you wouldn't have that support. And so I really like how May is able to express that, like, 
I'm becoming who I am. I'm figuring out who I am. Um, and I want to be able to share that piece with you. I don't want to like drift away because of that. And mom's able to, to, I think kind of, um, lessen that fear and say like, I do see you and you know, you're hard on yourself. And maybe that's also because I am hard on you and I don't want you to hold back or dampen yourself for anyone, like not even me. And so I think they leave finally having communicated, being more on the same page again. Yeah. And we, and we get the impression as the movie wraps up that they continue to be able to find this balance between realizing that May is becoming her own person and, and needs a little bit more autonomy and independence. And at the same time, they can have this very close relationship and spend quality time together and do things to contribute to the family and the temple that they run together. Um, so finding this nice balance. And, and I think we leave end the movie hoping that they will continue to have more open and direct communication. Yes. And, you know, all of the other red pandas get reharnessed, and May does leave with her red panda, you know, still a part of her. And I think the family is accepting of that too. Like you mentioned, like in the temple, it actually becomes like a, a part of the visit to the temple is everyone comes to like see the red panda, the red panda is like, you know, front and center, like entertaining people. And then, and one of the scenes, like at the very end, May wants to leave to go to some, do something with her friends and her parents are like, Oh yeah, great. Go ahead and go. And dad puts on like a little fake red panda costume. So also allowing that balance of like, yeah, she's here helping out at home and she can go and spend time with her friends. So seeing that, you know, they've made that progress as a family, which is nice. Yeah. And I think just kind of as we wrap up talking about like the red, red panda itself, we, you've heard <laughs> us use the, the phrase like emotion regulation quite a few times. And while it is a pretty self-explanatory term, um, we figured it'd be good to just spend a brief amount of time talking about it. It's a term we use in psychology a lot, especially when working with teens um, and adolescents. Um, and when we say emotion regulation, what we're talking about here is skills and strategies that we use to influence or modify our emotional experiences. And as we've talked about through the story arc of May, but also some of what we talked about in the beginning is that caregivers play a huge role in helping kids and adolescents learn emotion regulation skills. Yes, and I also want to just plug that when we say emotion regulation, we don't necessarily mean like the kind of emotion control that maybe is being insinuated Mm -hmm. by like suppressing the red panda, right? So I think emotion regulation can sound very clinical, very kind of... um, intense almost right but but what that really means is you know it's okay to cry it's okay to feel sad to feel mad to feel frustrated it's okay to feel worried you know I always like to give my younger um the younger kids that I work with like I kind of joke and I say it's a pop quiz and I'm like what emotions are okay to feel and they always kind of initially want to answer like happy you know, and they, they don't really answer with the more unpleasant emotions. And it's like, oh, trick question. Like, all of the emotions are okay. We just have to all develop, you know, strategies that are a little bit more productive, a little bit more helpful in the way that we express those emotions versus way that we express those emotions that might make it more difficult for us or a little bit less productive. So when we're angry, right, like in May's situation, when we're feeling angry, maybe communicating, maybe taking some time away, taking those deep breaths versus turning into like a giant panda and like crashing and destroying things right so there are different ways and if she wasn't the red panda like let's say she like punched a wall that's not a very productive way right she could hurt herself so learning those ways that are more adaptive more productive that's what we're talking about in terms of those skills and strategies that's what we mean with like emotion regulation yeah i think that's a really good clarification that there's a spectrum of how we deal with emotions and on one side there's like complete emotional 
suppression. And on the <laughs> other side, there's like complete emotional, like ex- dysregulation and just like letting emotions do whatever they want without trying to control them or do anything about them. And then emotion regulation might be somewhere more in the middle where it's okay to express them. It's okay to have them. It's okay to sometimes even express them strongly in a way and figuring out ways that when I want to be able to modify or influence my emotions, I have some skills to be able to manage that so that I can interact with people and do the things that I want to do in my life more effectively. Exactly. Not get granted, not like, you know, get, um, get your red panda taken away, whatever the case may be. And those strategies can differ for people. So we see for May, the deep breathing really helps being around her friends really helps kind of visualizing a positive experience really helps. Um, and there are a lot of different skills that could help people in different ways. And so I did like that about how in, in this movie, they showed some like skills and they showed May practicing those skills, right? They also showed like it didn't just come naturally. She had to kind of like work on it. Like the parents bring her that box of kittens and that's a very strong emotion, uh, a very, a very strong positive emotion, but still, you know, maybe she becomes very, uh, too excitable when she sees kittens. And so we kind of see how she's practicing using those skills. And that's, you know, what we would recommend for anyone when they're wanting to learn those types of skills. Yeah. And in that scene and in other scenes, or we can kind of imagine in the future, the parents can play a role in, in helping her develop those skills, like whether by like modeling their own abilities to express, but also regulate emotions, which we see like mom struggles with that a little bit. So I, you know, I think our hope for them as they end the movie is mom can be more of a model for that in the future. Um, and also coaching and talking her through that. You know, I think May puts it well at the very end, right? Like dad had kind of prompted her, but he says like, we all have different pieces in us. Like there are the the best pieces and then there are the pieces of us that are a bit messy and may kind of says like yeah we all have those pieces and they all coexist and we can experience them all right and it's just kind of in like using that regulation to do so in a way that's best for us we've all got an inner beast we've all got a messy loud weird part of ourselves hidden away and a lot of us never let it out but i did how about you I think that means it's time for us to transition into our overall impressions of Turning Red. Dr. Sam, what did you think about the movie? (laughs) Okay, I will be honest. Like, initially when uh, Dr. Fran suggested this one, I thought it was a good idea because I knew it was topical and new. And I thought it, you know, it reminded me kind of inside out, like a type of animated movie that could be good for kids, but also have some educational value in terms of like emotions and things like that. So I'm like, okay, I know it could be good for the podcast, but I'm not the biggest lover of animated movies. And I always, you know, kind of um, get flack for that. So I was like, uh, okay, we'll watch Except it. the Grinch, apparently. Except the Grinch. I love the Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually did think it was cute. And I kind of, I should have known because I felt similarly about Inside Out. And they kind of gave me those similar vibes. The thing I really liked about it is, yes, it was animated. But I thought it was relatable to like a a. a a preteen or a teenager's experience. I thought, you know, personally that they did a nice job like modeling different things, you know, like the family dynamics, the social dynamics. I also really liked how it tackled um, topics related to development in an age appropriate way um, and and in a cute way. I like the metaphors um, and I thought the red panda was cute. So I actually overall did enjoy this movie and thought it was a really good um, you know, movie to put on the couch and cover in this way. What about you, Dr. Fran? Yeah, I would agree. Um, I watched the movie not thinking about it 
as something we would cover on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And then when we were thinking about options, I was like, you know what? I just watched this and I think there's some good content we could cover here for those exact reasons. I think there's a lot of really relatable themes and there has been some controversy yes. about this movie that has come out since then. And I think this is common with a lot of movies in this genre of, um, are we just encouraging our kids to like rebel against their parents and not listen to them or, or things like that? And I, I think it's a lot more nuanced, nuanced than that. And I think this is a nice movie that a parent and child could watch together and have a conversation about like, why do we think that May didn't listen to her mom? Like, how can we have communication and openness in our relationship so that we don't have this situation happen? Um, so I think it gives a nice opportunity for that. The nostalgic side of me also really appreciated that it was set in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and any other fellow millennials out there who grew up in that time period who watch this will have a lot of like flashbacks of like the Tamagotchis. Okay. The um, press on earrings um, was a big one. <laughs> um, there's clearly like allusions to this band being like the Backstreet Boys are in sync. So yeah. I thought that was just like a fun nod because like, you know, Kids these days, kids these days. Oh my gosh! Um, <laughs> it is clearly the time frame is not super relatable for people who were not born um, in the last ten years. So I appreciated that they gave that nod to us old folks here. <laughs> I like the point you mentioned about just the conversations about like, oh, is this like encouraging youth to rebel? Because even if that was a parent's concern in watching the movie, you know, that that could be a valid concern. And the way that the movie handles it is like, okay, here's a concern, here's something that could happen. But it wraps up in a way that shows you how to navigate those difficulties and come to a conclusion where you're actually having a closer relationship and more open communication so that your, you know, teenager isn't, you know, trying to rebel against you at the end. May isn't rebelling, right? Like she's asking her parents and she's being more open. She's not hiding the panda, you know. So I think like even though it ha- it demonstrates some potential struggles, it also gives strategies for problem solving to come up with like, you know, better resolution. So hopefully that could be a positive takeaway. I know there was controversy too around the topics of discussion like puberty, for example, of a young lady. Um, is that appropriate to show in a cartoon for people of this age group? Um, I actually think that it was done in a very age-appropriate way and that these conversations are conversations that could be difficult to have with um, your children or in general. And so also, like you mentioned, Dr. Fran, just maybe a nice potential conversation starter there too. Yeah, if it's kind of an awkward thing, you watch this movie and it gives you a nice opportunity to be like, Mom, what's that? And you have that conversation. Um, so I agree that like, uh, if you're watching this as a adolescent, it's probably an opportune time to have those conversations. Exactly. And what we learned from the Red Panda, that when these are real life topics and things that people experience, we the best approach is not shaming and suppressing them, but having open dialogue in an age appropriate manner. So I actually give this movie um, uh, credit for doing that. All right, and now it's time for our DSM-5, Diagnosing Shows and Movies. So for this, you know, there's no therapy portrayed necessarily. So we will rate it based on the, like, psychological themes. So maybe, like, emotion, emotion regulation, those types of things. And Dr. Fran, (laughs) you're up first. What would be your DSM rating? (laughs) As Dr. Sam was talking, I'm sitting here pondering what my rating's going to be. My gut was to say a four out of five, because I do think like if we're imagining this is a world in which the curse and the red of the red panda exists, <laughs> I do think 
the portrayal of adolescent development, the parent-child relationship, conflicts that could come up around that, and ways that could impact things is pretty accurate. True. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm questioning why I'm not giving it a five. So I'm, I'm, I'm pondering, like, what, what am I dinging it for? And I can't really come up with anything. So I guess it could be a five. But I just, my, you know, like, I feel like the um, tendency is not to give things, like, a one or a five. So I'm, like, leaning towards a four. But I don't have a good reason for that. So I'll give it a five. That's true. It's like, what is a perfect score, right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if we – Wow. That might be our first five ever. Woo! That's exciting. <laughs> exciting and scary. So Dr. Sam's probably going to give it like a two. No, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I actually, I agree with you. Like, I was also, I thought a four. And then as you were saying it, like, well, there's nothing really to ding. I agree. You know, I think, um, again, there's always like the hyperbolic nature of most entertainment. So, yes, the Red Panda curse at least that we know i've never had a patient present as a red panda i don't know about you dr fran but as we know it you know does not exist so i think it's kind of um but but i actually really loved the metaphor of the red panda and what that actually stood for and like how they folded that in for some really nuanced and true and relatable depiction of just like emotions and regulating emotions the child like teenager child development the relationships i agree i thought they did a really nice job and i also really like how they presented like solutions like yeah they showed some problems they showed some conflict and they showed some real life applicable solutions too which i really appreciate and all of that seemed appropriate as well um so i agree i think i would give it like a four you know trending up yeah i don't have any qualms trending up (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i have any like issues so that's good (laughs) Yeah, that was kind of my thought, too. What would put it at a five for me is if they had gone to therapy. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe (laughs) if if May's mom really had concerns about the red panda releasing, she would have suggested therapy. (laughs) That would have given it a five for me. All right. Yeah. Well, this was a good one. Uh, I'm glad we covered this. You know, I'll be very curious. I wonder how many listeners out there watch this movie, you know, we always are curious to hear your thoughts. So let us know what you thought about Turning Red, what you thought about the Red Panda, what you think about emotions. If your emotions were to turn you into an animal, what animal would that be? What animals would yours be, Dr. Fran? Hmm. I don't know. I feel like I always say like a Red Panda, but that feels like <laughs> cheating because that's what happened in the movie. But I love Red Pandas so much. That's what I would want it to be. Interesting. Interesting. Oh my gosh, I'm like just thinking of so many creatures and animals right now. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like mine would be some kind of cat. Hmm, like a feline? Yeah. I think mine would be a lemur. Oh, that's fun. I could see that. You have that kind of lemur energy. (laughs) Yeah, I think my emotions, you know, would have like maybe a lemur energy. (laughs) I was thinking a cat for me because they're kind of cool and friendly but they can also be a little sassy sometimes so i feel like that's fits for me that's what i thought about lemurs too you know they're kind of calm but then like if they like if something like bothers them or they have to send out like an alarm they can like just like they send out this call i feel like they're very in tune they're primates so i thought there were a lot of pluses there are a lot of different maybe if you could have different animals for different emotions well okay we have to stop there because, Dr. Fran, I will talk about animals forever. Animals and emotions, like two of my favorite things. So session is now over for Turning Red. 
Check out our website for resources and glossary of terms that we covered today. We'd also love to hear any questions you have about psychology or what movies or TV shows did you like that we covered a Pixar movie? Do you want us to cover more? Which ones? Um, let us know what you want us to put on the couch and break down next. Find and follow us on social media. We're at Freud Scripts Pod on all of the things. Um, we also post our monthly Freudian Scripter Spotlight, so we're back on with we're back on with that. So definitely check out last week's spotlight on Dr. Emily Houston Warren. And as always, please subscribe, rate, and review. We do have more stickers, so if you leave a review, let us know. We will send you one. So don't forget to do that. Time's up. See you next session. We'd like to thank our producer, Brandon, creative director, Eric, and webmaster, Don. You know, kids these days, kids these days, oh my gosh. Um, <laughs>